Let's get started this morning. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We'll look at verses 45 to 52 this morning. And I'll start by reminding us that all of us are quite aware that life is filled with inevitabilities. Some are good, some fall into other categories. Not necessarily bad, but inevitable nonetheless. And there are more than the two proverbial inevitabilities in life, and that being death and taxes. And let me remind you right off the bat this morning that there is one generation that is going to skip the whole appointment with death thing and be caught up in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. And because they have extended the tax filing date, maybe you'll get to skip the taxes too. So we'll skip those two inevitables. And I say that because the evidence says Jesus is coming soon. Now we know in Revelation, Romans 8, 28, that we know that all things work together for good for those who are the really nice people. No, for those who are uh, love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, here's the first thing we need to remember this morning. It is inevitable that all the things that we're encountering now have good that can come from them because we love God and are therefore the called of God. And yet, as we studied back on Easter, there are times when things seem to go, or they seem to be headed in one direction, and they go another. Remember, there were two dejected disciples who thought Jesus was going to do one thing, and another thing happened. And on the same day that Jesus rose from the dead, he encountered these two dejected disciples on their way to Emmaus, their hometown, and he asked them, why are you guys so glum? What are you so bummed about? And obviously I'm paraphrasing. And then in Luke 24, 18 to 21, the one whose name was Cleopas answered him, Jesus, and said, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, crucified him. But we were hoping that he was, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And then they went on to report that some had said the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive. And he is alive yet today and seated at the right hand of majesty, living daily to make intercession for you and I. Well, these two men were hoping for one thing and another happened. And this is inevitable for us all. And combining the verses we've looked at thus far this morning, we know it is inevitable that all things will work together for our good. And we also know, therefore, sometimes between the promise and the actualization of good, things don't go the way we were hoping or thinking they would. And on top of that, it is inevitable that as a Christian, there's going to be a time of waiting between the promise and the reality or actualization. Now, in Isaiah 40, 31, we're told that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. This can be a strength-renewing time for us all. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, there are times, like with the two dejected disciples, when we're going to need to have our eyes open 
to what's happening and what God is doing and what is happening, especially right in front of us, like Jesus was to those two men. There are other times where we're going to have to wait to see the promised good become a reality, and it is in such times that our title describes the time that we are now living in. And we're going to put a little twist on our title, at least partially this morning. And our title this morning is another colloquialism we're all familiar with, and it is In the Meantime. In the meantime is our title this morning. Now, our text today, like last week's, has elements within it that are known to believer and non-believer alike. People that have never read the Bible, people that don't believe in Jesus, know that it is reported that he walked on water, just like many people know the story of Daniel in the lion's den or David and Goliath. Now, borrowing from the other Gospels, we can set the scene and introduce the double entendre portion of our title, so to speak. Now, where we are in the chronology of Jesus' ministry is he had just fed 5,000 men, women, and children with five barley cakes and two small fish. Seeing this miracle, the people sought to seize him and make him king. Jesus then takes his disciples down to the Sea of Galilee, told them to get into a boat, told them where to go to the other side. Now, it's likely because Jesus wanted to get his disciples who had a propensity for debating amongst themselves which of them would be greater when they came into God's kingdom. And therefore, he wanted to get them away from all of this. And he immediately sent them away, as we'll see in our text. And when the disciples arrive at the other side, they find this. Mark 6, 53 to 56 says, when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and anchored there. And when they came out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him, Jesus, ran through that whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might just touch, that they might just touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Now, here's where we need to arrive at our time and text. On one side of the Galilee, Jesus fed thousands of people, potentially up to 20,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children on one little boy's lunch. On the other side of the Galilee, he healed everyone who was sick, who was brought to him or sought to touch the hem of his garments. Now, in between these two miraculous scenes was a storm. And it was a mean time, so to speak, a time of fear, a time where Jesus was not physically in the boat with the disciples. It was a time where they rode for hours and hours, seemingly getting nowhere. And between the two miracles, we are living, or they were living, in the meantime, and so are we. Now, last December, we were sailing along with the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. Then everything changed. Now we have unemployment rates equal to the Depression era, and we went from a time of great prosperity into a storm of unprecedented magnitude. So here's the question. Is there an other side that we can look forward to? Well, the answer obviously is yes. But right now we're in the meantime. 
and we need to know how to make our way through this storm, and the disciples and Jesus are going to show us just how to do that. If you need to hear this today, say amen. I heard you. So let's read together Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 52. Mark chapter 6, 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would give us soft hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We thank you that it does not return void, that it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. We know your son is described as a word. We know that he came to save sinners. We know that he said he will never leave us nor forsake us. So Lord, would you remind us that you're with us and would you save any who need you to rescue them from death, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the first observation I want to make today is from verses 45 to 48, and we'll need a couple of specifics that will help us get there. Remember, the 12 had just had the experiences of a lifetime. They had been sent out by Jesus in pairs to do the same things that he had been doing, and he gave them power over spirits and powers to heal and powers of uh, miracle or miraculous status and now Jesus had incorporated them into the largest miracle that he performed, feeding thousands with meager supply. And then on top of that, as proof of the miracle, the creative miracle, they collected up 12 baskets of leftovers at the end. John's gospel tells us at that point, Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And he then immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side while he would then disperse the crowd on his own. Now, the word made is interesting. It comes from the Greek word anakadzo, and it means to command or to force. In other words, Jesus said, get in the boat, get out of here, get over to the other side. Now, John also adds another important detail that we'll make note of again Later in John 6, 16 to 17, we're told when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum and it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Now, remember four of the 12 disciples, two pairs of brothers, uh, James and John and Peter and Andrew were seasoned fishermen, nor were they any strangers to night fishing on the very sea they were just made to get into the boat and cross. And Jesus told uh, Simon in Luke 5, 
to cast out his nets. And Peter said, listen, we've been fishing all night. But nevertheless, at your command, we'll do what you said. And they brought up so many fish, their nets were breaking. So Peter and Andrew, James and John, going out on the Sea of Galilee at night was no big deal. However, there were eight other men in the boat. It was dark. The Sea of Galilee was notorious for its sudden windstorms and rains. And on top of that, this time, Jesus wasn't in the boat. Evening was the first watch of the Jewish night, which would span from 6 to 9 p.m. The second watch would be from 9 to midnight, the third from midnight to 3 a.m., and the fourth watch of the night would be from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So we're told that Jesus saw the disciples battling the sea in the evening between 6 and 9 p.m. Then he arrived at the boat during the fourth watch, and we'll take the middle of that as well, for our calculation between 3 and 6 a.m. Now, John also tells us this in 6.19. So when they had rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus on the sea, walking on the sea, drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. Well, John told us it was dark when they boarded, so it was likely around 8 p.m. when they cast uh, when the 12 cast off and headed for the other shore. It's dark. Jesus is on the side of the hill praying, and yet he sees them three to four miles out to sea, straining at the oars. Now, that means one of two things. Either Jesus had night vision goggles, or Jesus is God. I'm going to go with the latter, and somebody say amen out there. So, if it was 8 p.m. when they cast off, Jesus walks up to them somewhere between 4 and 5 a.m. That means they had been straining at the oars for over eight hours, and their progress was so poor that Jesus had time to go up on the mountain and pray and then walk the three or four miles on the water, and the text tells us he could have passed them by. In other words, he was making more progress walking in the water than 12 men were straining at the oars. Now, let me ask a question of us all today. Have you ever felt like it was taking too long for things to work together for good? And I know the answer, of course, is yes. Or maybe that Jesus doesn't see your situation or circumstance, or maybe he's unaware that there's a storm raging on the sea of life beating against your house and heart, and you're totally in the dark about what he is doing or where he is. Now, as we wait on the Lord, here's the first thing we need to keep in mind in the meantime or during our waiting. Listen this morning or this evening or afternoon, whatever it may be for you. Here's our first truth. A storm is often proof you are in God's will, not out of it. A storm is often proof you are in God's will, not out of it. For the 12 between the command and the other shore was a storm. Who made them get in the boat? Who told them to get in the boat and go to the other side? Well, of course, it was Jesus. Did Jesus know beforehand there was going to be a storm? Well, he's God and therefore omniscient. Of course he did. Well, were they therefore in his will? He sent them into a situation that was going to be difficult for them, yet he had things under control the whole time. And Hebrews 6, 8 through 9 reminds us, though he was a son... Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author 
of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, the word learn here doesn't mean to increase uh, your cognitive understanding. It means to learn by use and practice. Jesus, being God, is indeed uh, omniscient. He knows all. But it means to experience or understand the pain of loss or suffering in a way that only experience can teach it. Now, you can cognitively understand and even explain to someone else that it hurts to hit your thumb with a hammer. But until you hit your thumb with a hammer, you haven't learned what it's really all about. And this is what Jesus did when he walked this earth. He learned about grief. He became acquainted with it. He learned about betrayal. He learned about the pain of the whip. He learned about the driving of nails into the hand and foot. And he learned many things through experience that only experiencing them could teach. Now, thus, this experience was a lesson for the 12 in the power and the faithfulness of God and for us. And even though we can't see God just as the disciples couldn't see Jesus, we know he sees us. Sometimes he says, get into the boat, go to the other side, and he leaves the storm in between completely unmentioned. But rest assured, he is watching. And the storm doesn't mean we failed or that it's something outside of his will. So listen today, as the shutdown continues and the storm rages, there is a lesson right now for all of us about God's faithfulness in this text. We will see it when we get to the other side, but we're not there yet. So for the meantime, we need to remember a storm can be proof you are in God's will, not out of it. Now let's look at 49 to 50 one more time. Mark says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, I don't think it's a stretch that the disciples were thinking they were going to die. And this had an influence on their thoughts when they saw Jesus walking on the water. And we're told in Mark 4, 35 to 39, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, this is a different event, by the way, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. Then they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now here we have in our text, the same men on the same sea of Galilee with the same directive given by the same Lord and therefore the same assurance that they would get to the other side, their destination. But this time Jesus wasn't in the boat. They hadn't seen him for eight hours. And again, they are in a storm and it's dark and eight of them are unaccustomed to this. They've been battling the waves and the wind for hours. Their bodies are weary, their minds too. And when they see a figure through the pouring and driving rain, defying the laws of nature, walking on the water, they think it's a ghost and they are troubled. The word troubled means to be agitated 
to cause inward commotion or to be perplexed. There's some perplexing things going on right now. And they have gone on longer than any of us have imagined. And for some, like our governor, there seems to be no end in sight. The governor of California, that is. He said he has a plan, but no specific dates of implementation for the four phases of his plan. Now, what we need to remember in the meantime is that we all love mountaintop experiences, and the disciples had just had one. And they'd had one after another, as a matter of fact, if we look back through the gospel records, and they were headed for another one, even though they didn't know it. But in the meantime, they're stuck in a raging storm. Jesus is not on the boat, though unbeknownst to them, he is watching. And their minds had to be thinking about the last time they were in this situation. All we had to do is wake him up. He calmed the wind and the waves, and it was over. And then they are agitated by what they see, and Jesus says, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, as Charlie alluded to, we as a church are in the midst of a storm. And let me remind you that we have seen God do amazing things in the past concerning our building needs, and thus we can be assured, even though we're not there yet, that there are amazing things that lie ahead for us. But in the meantime, we need to consider this. Listen to Matthew, 5, or Matthew 9, 2. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Same chapter, verse 22, Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well, and the woman was made well from that hour. Then Mark 10, 49, Jesus stood still, commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. John 16, 33, these things Jesus says, I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of, what's he say? Good cheer. I have overcome the world. Acts 23, 11, talking to the apostle Paul. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, I hope you saw the parallels in those passages every time Jesus said, or the phrase was used, be of good cheer. It was associated with some type of dilemma, infirmity, or difficulty. That makes me wonder if Jesus would say to us during our time of waiting for him to direct us to a new building, waiting collectively for this pandemic shutdown to end that is agitating to all of us, I'm wondering if he not, might not say to us right here, right now, be of good cheer. I'm thinking he would. I believe you are too. Now, our default thought is, I'll be of good cheer when this is over. Or I'll be of good cheer when there's something to be cheerful about. But in the meantime, I'm going to stay agitated and reactionary. Now, that's what our flesh wants to do. Now, the word ghost means a phantasm or a specter, meaning some type of spirit being. Now, let me ask you, is there some type of spirit being who wants to agitate us right now? Who wants to aggravate us right now? 
who wants to exploit our minds and emotions right now as we await our arrival on the other side of this storm. But can't we say that in Jesus, I ain't afraid of no ghost? Sorry, I couldn't resist that. But 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11 reminds us, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, here's how, steadfast in the faith, remembering that the sufferings are experienced, the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Somebody out there say, Amen. Remember Paul had an affliction, an affirmity, a messenger of Satan that buffeted him, and three times he petitioned the Lord, and the Lord replied, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in what? In weakness. Who wants weakness? Who wants trials? Who wants troubles? Who wants storms? None of us want any of those things. But remember, as we await the end of this trial by storm, this is what we need to recall in the meantime. Listen here this uh, day, morning, evening, whatever. There are miracles in the midst of the storm, not just at the end. There are miracles in the midst of the storm, not just at the end. I taught through the book of Mark some years ago. I think it's been about 10 years since we uh, went through the gospel of Mark. And I still have people repeat to me what we studied in this uh, particular section where I reminded everyone at that time, the middle is not the end. We're not going to stay like this forever. And whether it be through the end of the pandemic or our deliverance from these bodies into immortal incorruptibility in a moment and a twinkling of an eye, either way, this is all going to come to an end Amen. Now, we all arrive at the same place on the other side of any trial or storm at some point when we say, God got me through that. We all look back and can see the hand of the Lord in our situations, even as the disciples could look back on this story later in their life and ministry and say, God got me through that. Now, here's the shift we need to make in our thinking we need to not just say when it's over, God got me through that. We need to say right now, God is with me in that. God is with us right now. He hasn't abandoned us. He saw this coming. He knew it was coming. And there are things he is doing all around us that we need to have our eyes open to. Think about this. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars. That was miraculous. That was supernatural. John told us they were three to four miles out to sea. The text tells us in ours that Jesus was up on a mountain praying. We also know that it was evening, so it was somewhere between 6 and 9 p.m. So obviously it was dark. So there was a miracle in the fact that Jesus was watching them. We also need to recognize Jesus defied the laws of nature to get to the 12. So here's the point. Sometimes God is working miraculous things that are unbeknownst to those who are in the storm. 
And maybe we're all wondering, when is this going to change? When are things going to happen? Maybe you're wondering about that in your own personal circumstances or your own personal storm. Listen, God is on the move. God is doing things, even as he was on behalf of the 12. They were out at sea. They'd been out there for hours, maybe as many as eight hours, straining at the oars. Jesus was watching from the hillside the whole time. And when it was the right time, Jesus showed up through supernatural means, walking on the water. And they knew nothing about all the supernatural things going on behind the scenes. And the same is true for us. Now, in Colossians 4, 5, Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Now, one thing that is seldom mentioned in this story, other than just the reality of their experience, is that they were straining at the oars. They weren't letting the sea have its way. They were working against the attacks that were coming against them in the form of wind and waves. They were doing what they could do in order to get to the other side. In other words, they were redeeming the time. We need to redeem the time that we now have. We need to be wise concerning those who are outside the body of Christ and give testimony through every possible means of the faithfulness of God. Listen, if you're on Twitter, tweet about Jesus. If you're on Facebook, post about Jesus. Do Facebook Lives about Jesus because although he is not physically in the storm with us, he's watching and we can all be assured that if necessary, he will defy the laws of nature to get us through what we're currently going in, no matter how that may apply to you or if we apply it collectively to us all. So look for the miracles he's doing now. Don't just wait for the miracle of being on the other side of this. There was something interesting that happened a couple of nights ago as Terry and I had uh, gone out uh, walking around our block. It had, uh, uh, almost was dusk and it was a bit cooler, so we went out to go for a walk and to keep the, uh, the blood flowing, so to speak, around our neighborhood, which is basically a, almost a third of a mile loop. So we got in a nice little walk. And for years, as I used to go out and uh, walk our little dogs when they were still with us, I would encounter many times during the week a young Persian man who lived around the corner. And for many, many months, he would say to me at the end of our conversation, God bless you. And, uh, you know, which obviously I was wondering what exactly he meant by that. And then he found out that I was a pastor. And then I noticed he quit saying, God bless you to me. But Terry and I ran into him just the other night. And I said, Bobby, how you doing? And he said, man, I'm just trying to stay alive. Will you pray for me? Now, he said it a bit jokingly, but he knows I'm a pastor. And behind that smirky smile was a real need. And I'm praying for him. I want to ask you to pray for Bobby. I have to say, this, this young Persian man and his little Italian wife are a wonderful couple. They're very friendly and kind, and, and he needs Jesus, and so does his wife as well. So put them on your prayer list, and I'm excited about the possibility of all of us collectively praying for him. Maybe Bobby will get sta- saved in the midst of this storm. Can God do that? Absolutely. Maybe in the midst of all this, he'll come to Jesus. That would be a miracle. Look around, saints. God is on the move all around us, and he is with us during this storm. He will get us to the other side, rest assured. Now, let's look at 51 and 52 and wrap up our time. Then he went up into the boat to them, 
and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That's a rather curious uh, benediction to this section. Now, Matthew and John add significant details we need to note. And let's go to Matthew, first of all, from 1426 to 33. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, again, same situation and story, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, consistent with our record in Mark, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. Listen to their conclusion, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now in John 6, 21, we're told, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So Mark has omitted some of the miraculous things that were taking place, but the other gospel records captured them for us. Now our verses tell us they were greatly amazed because they had not understood about the loaves. In other words, they couldn't see past their own material needs. All they knew from the loaves is that Jesus could do miracles and feed people. He told them to feed the people. Jesus said, you give them something to eat when they uh, proposed to him that this was a large crowd and they had to be hungry. And they responded in saying, listen, you couldn't feed this many people with 200 days pay. So Jesus fed them with one little boy's sack lunch. What is the lesson about the loaves? Well, the lesson is that God will provide. While that's true, that's not what the disciples missed. What they missed was what the storm taught them, that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus walking on the water. Jesus commanding Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water. Jesus calming the storm when he got back into the boat, caused the men to worship him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Listen, the storm taught them what the loaves couldn't. The storm taught them what provision couldn't or didn't. And since Jesus is God, he's going to operate like God. He will be omniscient, all-knowing. He will be omnipotent, all-powerful. He will be omnipresent everywhere at the same time. And this is how he could see the disciples straining at the oars in the dark miles by, uh, from shore. And thus, he was with them. Now listen to Luke 7, 1 to 10. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, and centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. 
but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I'm also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turned around, and said to the crowd that followed, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. This is what Jesus' disciples came to realize about him, that at his word, storms must cease. At his word, the dead must rise. At his word, the sick must be healed. At his word, the demon possessed must be freed. Why? Because he is the son of God and he and the father are one. And thus what he says, even though he is not physically present, must come to pass. And we have God's word inspired by the spirit in front of us and accessible every single day. So let's recap what we have recognized thus far. And then I want to borrow from a message I gave some 15 years ago to make our final point from the book of Exodus. Thus far, Jesus commanded the disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. When he gave the command and the destination, he knew what would happen between the two shores of the Galilee. He knew a storm would arise. He knew that they would never get through it without him. No matter how hard they rowed and strained at the oars, they were stuck in the middle of the lake, in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the night. And we too are stuck in the middle of a global storm, and we have yet to reach the other side, and it is creating a strain on people who have no control over what's happening. And until we get to the other side, here's what we need to remember in the meantime. And this is something I've said over the years that originated from the book of Exodus, And it's just this. Listen today. God will lead us into difficulty for the glory of getting us out. God will lead us into difficulty for the glory of getting us out. Jesus knew about the storm when he told the disciples to get in the boat. He's the son of God. Of course he knew. What happened after a time of toiling and strain? Jesus got them to the other side and he was recognized for who he truly is. And we need to also recognize that it was the storm that exposed a lack of faith and fear of the disciples and the deity of Jesus. Now, Peter made a bold move to get out of the boat and he walked on the water, but he began to sink when he paid more attention to the circumstances than the Savior. Now, you may not like our last point, but like it or not, it's true. And here's the history behind it from Exodus. In Exodus 14, 1 to 4, we're told the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pihairoth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Remember what was said in the opening verse in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, here's where I want you to camp the nation of Israel fleeing from the Egyptians. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. Pihairoth means the mouth of gorges. There's their first geographic marker. Migdal was home to a 250-foot well, uh, deep well that was known to have bitter water. It was called the Well of Bitterness, and travelers described it to others who were traveling that it was not fit for a camel to drink from that well. The other geographic marker was the Red Sea. And then finally, a place called Beelzepon. The phrase means to destroy by storm, or it simply means the destroyer. So listen close. God told Moses, camp between the mouth of gorges, the well of bitterness, the Red Sea, and the destroyer. And when you're camped there, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to chase you. And the reason I'm going to do all this is so that I can receive glory that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord when I gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army. Why? Because God deserves glory. Even in the midst of our difficulties and our circumstances. And we're in a similar situation between the proverbial rock and the hard place and God saw it coming God knew it was coming and expects us to worship him through it and bring glory to his great name all the way to the end of it. Now in Psalm 100 verses 1 to 5 or the whole of the psalm, we're told to make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endures to all generations. Now listen close as we wrap things up. I am quite sure that the Israelites would have preferred God to choose another campground. I am sure that they would have rather not been hemmed in with their backs against the Red Sea, sound, uh, surrounded by the mouth of gorges, the well of bitterness, and the destroyer with Pharaoh's army pressing in. I am quite sure they would have rather had a place of ease after all their years of slavery under the taskmaster's whip, making blocks or bricks for Pharaoh's projects. Now, I am sure that the disciples would rather have had smooth sailing for the eight-mile journey from shore to shore across the Sea of Galilee. And I am quite sure that the second time they made the journey and encountered a storm, they would have rather not done it without Jesus in the boat. But at the end of both situations, God was glorified. In the middle of both situations, there were miracles. And the presence of these storms and trials didn't prove the two groups were out of God's will, but were directly in the heart of it. And listen, we're not on the other side of this yet. So in the meantime, look for opportunities to bring God's glory, and you'll start seeing the miraculous things he's doing in the midst of the storm. Listen, we can serve the Lord with gladness right now and be thankful to him and bless his name even as the storm continues to rage. Now listen, while I am thankful for the handful of people that are here today and grateful to have 
human contact outside the four walls of my home or at the grocery store when the trips are made or to the pharmacy. Well, listen, I would much rather that you were all here who call this your church home. I would much rather shake your hand at the door and see your faces and talk with one another as we have done week after week, month after month, year after year as a body of Christ here at Calvary Chapel Tustin. But that's not what we have right now, but that doesn't mean God's not moving. That doesn't mean God isn't speaking. That doesn't mean he doesn't want to use us. It doesn't mean he has abandoned the miraculous. God is moving right now. God is speaking right now. God is doing amazing things right now, and we need to open our eyes to it. We need to ask him to make us a part of it. We need to glorify his name through every media means and opportunity that we have and the limited contact we have with other humans. Jesus needs to be on our lips, and his glory needs to be our cause. So listen, it's not over yet. A couple of things aren't over. The lockdown isn't over. And this life isn't over. The church age isn't over. But all those things are going to come to an end. And the Lord is moving on our behalf. Listen, even though you may not see what's coming, believe me, help and change are on the way. Because that's what the Lord has promised. All things, say all things at home, all things work together for good for those who, are, who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Listen, let's not miss the moment. Let's not let anxiety rule us. Yes, these are stressful times. Well, let's pull at the oars. Let's make sure we're doing all that we can for the glory of God, his great name, and the sake of his kingdom. And believe me, those efforts will open our eyes to the things he is doing all around us. God is on the throne. He is still omnipotent. He is all-powerful today. And it is still true at this very moment in time that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And though the enemy roams the earth like a roaring lion, though he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, nothing can separate us from the Father's love. No one can snatch us from the Father's hand. He has promised he would never leave us nor forsake us. And therefore, we need to be mindful. What can man do to us? So let's not miss the message today. The message is, Jesus is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he is watching out for us. He is interceding on our behalf. He is seated at the right hand of majesty on high as our intercessor. He is our advocate with the Father. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the soon coming righteous King who is going to come back to this earth after we meet him in the air and then return with him seven years later and he's going to rule and reign with righteousness. Listen, things are going to work together for good. God is in control. He is faithful. Let's keep our eyes on the prize and let me remind you of what's been said. I actually can't remember who said it. It was either Dr. Thomas Ice or Dr. March Hitchcock, Hitchcock that I heard say it. Let me ask you, what problem do you have that the rapture wouldn't solve? Well, we're living in a time of great expectancy. And it's possible that the unknown day and hour could be approaching. We don't know. But we are seeing signs of what's going to happen during the tribulation. And we'll talk more about that this afternoon. If you want to join me, again, Facebook Live, 2 p.m. And... Uh, Lord bless you all. And don't forget these things we learned today in the middle of this storm because God is faithful and 
let me just capsulize what we said a moment ago this way. You don't have to see progress for God to be moving. He's watching. He's working. He's on the way. Help is on the way as the adage goes. So in the meantime, let's bring him glory and serve him with gladness. And Father, we are grateful for our time and your word this morning. Thank you again this week for the timeliness of that which we find in Scripture, reminding us, as uh, Paul wrote to the church at Rome in 15.4 of that book, that the things that were written before were written for our learning. The things of the Old Testament were written for our learning. The things of the New Testament are written for our learning. And help us to learn from these experiences of others. That you are faithful and you are the Son of God. And even though things may not go the way we thought they would or should, you haven't abandoned us, and storms are often part of the package of serving you. So, Lord, help us to keep our eyes on the fact that there is another side. You will work all things together for good. And, Lord, we say to you today that we are among those who love you and therefore called according to your purpose. We bless your name. We honor you. Lord, we pray that those around us who are searching and even, Lord, let me pray again here for Bobby and I pray all in agreement would lift him up and uh, his uh, sweet little family and their extended family even, Lord. We pray for their salvation. And we thank you that you're still saving Muslims today and Buddhists and uh, the garden variety pagan. Lord, you are unwilling that any should perish but that all would come to repentance. So we pray for the salvation of those we all know who need to know you and may be searching for answers at such a time as this. We bless you. We honor you. We love you, and in Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.